Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. Diversity matters. You know that. I know that. We know it matters for innovation. We know it matters for performance at a minimum. And we could go on about a whole host of reasons why it matters. But the question I want to deal with today is why do so many who are part of a minority group, however you choose to define minority in your organization, feel so disenfranchised? That's the issue. Why? And then more importantly, what do we do about it? So we want to talk about why is this happening? We want to talk about what we need to be doing as leaders. We want to talk about what we can do as colleagues. And we want to talk about what you can do as an individual if you find yourself as part of a minority group. How can you build a strong career path accordingly? My guest today is Brenda Harrington. She's a certified executive coach, credentialed member of the International Coaching Federation, and a founder of Adaptive Leadership Strategies. She works with leaders globally in both public, private, government, nonprofit, and every other industry I think that exists. Brenda, I see in your list, it looks like it's quite a broad range there. She's spent more than 30 years in private industry in positions ranging from first-level management to senior executive leadership, and she has countless first-hand experiences with issues involving diversity some of which are quite explicit and some of which are more implied, what we might call sometimes microaggressions. Um, In her coaching practice, some of the circumstances she encounters with clients and within the organizations involving diversity, inclusion, and acceptance mirror the experiences she has had and has been aware of for over a bunch of years. And she knows that in the absence of mentors and sponsors and professional obstacles can be much more formidable when all you hear is that you can't or that you shouldn't. Chances are you don't and you won't. So Brenda, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Wanda. Pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure. I'm super excited to talk about your perspective, your experiences, and even better about your advice. Let I want to start with a quote I just gave you, which is from your book, which is, I want to read it again. When all you hear is that you can't or that you shouldn't, chances are you don't and you won't. In many cases, can't actually means you can, and shouldn't often means yes, you should. So why do you say that? Why is that important? So much of the messaging that we receive lets us know, sends us us the signals pretty directly that there's certain places that we're not welcome. There are certain things that we should not consider as as career options. I talk about this early in the book. in, in a couple of contexts. One with regard to a- academic advisors, for example, who have discouraged people from going into careers. In one circumstance, the woman is now a practicing and very uh, successful psychologist who was told that she shouldn't enter the, the PhD program as an undergraduate. Uh, another circumstance where uh, a leader, organizational leader mentioned that, you know, they didn't think someone would fit in And so we hear a lot of this, and a lot of that discouragement is based on personal values uh, and has nothing to do with our actual competency or credentials. Uh, It's just places that, quite frankly, were probably not welcomed. I got it. It's kind of hard 
if you haven't had those experiences, to appreciate how many of them there are, first off, yeah. and how frustrating it can be to hear that over and over again. So can you kind of give us some scale of, you know, how, how frequently is this happening, Brenda? Well, I don't have data, <laughs> but, you know, just my own experiences, certainly, and, and conversations I've had over many years uh, about you know, excuses that are made for things that are not happening. Well, you have the education, you've got the experience, but it's not your time yet. Maybe next time, things like that, you know, or, or no explanation at all. You know, you see people come in and, and, and rise above you and move out in front of you who have much less experience on paper, you know, than, than you have and things like that. So it happens pretty consistently. And I would say that it, that it happens at, at many organizational levels. Um, the challenge is, you know, it's often not something that people know how to address or what to do with. And, and so it just becomes part of that messaging. Right, right. I know um, one of my minority candidates, uh, clients that I've worked with for ages, says she's Ph.D., and she says that even walking into a restaurant, the assumption will be that she's not a credentialed professional. Um, she'll be treated that way from the waitstaff, independent of the race of the waitstaff. She'll be treated that way in her institution. She'll be treated that way. And so she just feels like she's constantly battling to remind people, I have this credential. I have this reason to be here. I have this authority. That, that's what you're saying, though, because everybody's going to say, many people will say, I feel like I've been passed over at some time when I thought it was ready. I've been told to wait. So I, it's the systemic, the frequency of it that I think is so hard for minorities. Now, I want you to react to that. Yeah, it's the frequency and, and also just, uh, you know, the, the circumstances. I can walk into a room, think about a, a reception or a networking event or something like that with, with a group of people. And you hear two introductions, say someone introducing me, a rather mature woman, okay, uh, and someone introduced to a younger person who doesn't look like me, I'll say. And in order for me to even be invited or accepted into a conversation in some settings, and what is it that you do? And where did you go to school? So I've got to lay out my entire pedigree, right, before there's, there's even a, a casual conversation. And so uh, it is it is pretty pervasive. And uh, it. It, it happens in places that you would not expect. I'm not surprised uh, at your at your client's comment about restaurants and, and, and all kinds of places. Retail, it runs the yeah. gamut. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I, um, and I want to echo, if you haven't heard these stories from other people, I certainly hear them from my minority clients. I mean, I remember a guy who said to me, you know, he was at the height of a career, just gotten this promotion. He's at this big event with his boss. And he goes early, you know, in his tux, just to make sure he knew where he was going, what he was doing. And it is constantly redirected to be around to the kitchen, yes. as opposed to recognizing that he might have had a legitimate right to be there or reason to be there as a guest and as an honored guest, by the way, as it turned out. Um, yeah, yeah. And there have been times, Wanda, that I have walked into a meeting with a direct report, white male direct report, and they turned to the to him, right, as 
as the, the leader, right? As, as, as the person, as the senior executive. So all kinds of, all of those things. Yeah, all of those things. All right. So how have you managed these sorts of experiences? So tell us a little bit about the kind of things that have happened to you and what have you done about them? You know, I, uh, I have really been intentional for a very long time about calling these things out. And I will say, full disclosure, I have a higher risk tolerance than many people. So don't try this at home necessarily. But I will say that I've tried to, one, set reasonable expectations and two, really pay attention and, and make sure that I know the, the lay of the land. And what that means is, particularly as an employee in an organization, understanding who the power players are, understanding the culture, the value systems, and really what's at play, and not going in making any assumptions. Doesn't matter that I have certain credentials, doesn't matter that I have particular degrees or experience. That does not change hearts and minds, okay? And it really is important to understand the audience and, and really have a strategy around how to proceed. And that's what I really try to hammer home in the book. So give me, give me an example, you know, give me an event, give me a how you handled it, give me a, you know, how does this all play out? Has this played out in your life? Yeah. So there was a circumstance where uh, I was on a senior leadership team and uh, I was one, our team was one of a, a, a group of teams working on a project. And so we would have meetings, you know, multi-project meetings for everybody to come together. And often I would come into the room and sit down and they'd say, oh, well, we're still waiting for a representative from XYZ firm to come. I said, I'm right here, you know? And uh, I was the only person, in some cases, the only woman, but occasionally there'd be, you know, other women in the room. Uh, but it was difficult for them to accept that I was there in the role that I was in with quite frankly, the amount of power I had with regard to the project. Uh, and so in a situation like that, basically I made sure that the scaffolding was in place to protect myself, protect the interests of the company and to hold people accountable. Right. And that, that was something that I was able to do uh, that didn't require anyone's approval or, or right. sanctions, if you will. Yeah, but it was something that they did not not only did they not expect, but it's something that many resented. Okay. Now, so what would you say? Hi, I'm here. Did you have any, you know, any other examples of what you would say that would, because it sounds like you're trying not to put somebody on the spot to embarrass them, but to also call it out at the same time. Did I get Absolutely that Absolutely call it out. And so where there, I'm sorry, but where there were approvals needed, for example, you know, where there were things that uh, they were not able to proceed with without our approval, I wouldn't let those things go, you know, with a handshake. I wouldn't, I would, I would really be intentional about protecting my, the integrity of what we were trying to do, what I was there to do. And most importantly, uh, protecting my seat at the table. Okay. And so you really have to, you know, and I said, not letting things go with a handshake. You know, there was, there were some times that there were very casual agreements that were considered acceptable. But in this case, I had to exercise and, and, and demonstrate over and over the authority that I had to keep right. the project on track. Now, how do you do that, Brenda, without getting worn out by it? Like that's it's, a tough one. It, it's tiring. Yeah. It, 
fatigue is, is, is definitely a big, a big part of this. And, and one of the things I talk about, I said, you know, our, our day jobs, uh, the things that we're hired to do technically and professionally is that the day job, but the side hustle, if you will, is really the, 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 the mental exercise of coming up with a strategy and, and making sure that you have these other things in place because, you know, we always talk about the fact that a lot of business takes place outside of the office. I'm not at the golf courses. I'm not at the happy hours. I'm not at the weekend events and things like that. So I've got to make sure that I am addressing those things in other ways. Right. Um, so how have you handled that? I mean, like, I believe that networking is a massive component. I'm going to quote from Jeff Gittimer all things being equal, we'd rather do business with friends and all things being not so equal, we'd still rather do business with friends. Right. So that friendship trust thing is really, really important. But if you're not part of the places where that trust is built, it gets very difficult. So how did you manage that in terms of building the networks? And that's where you've got to build in some extra levels of protection using whatever formal or informal authority that you have. But the key is to notice it. What happens in a lot of cases is that we take for granted, we assume that things are going to unfold, you know, that, that will be treated fairly or that things are going to unfold in an equitable way. And you can't make those assumptions. You really do have to get out in front of it and you have to do some planning. It's almost like something called scenario planning that we use huh? in strategic development, right? Okay. You know, the, just just going through three or four of the what ifs and being prepared to have a response and being prepared to address circumstances as they arise or head them off. And you're right. Okay. It is exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. All right. So. I can imagine some listeners are going to say, yeah, 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 Brenda, but you know, that was 20 years ago and we've gotten better. I don't think we've gotten better, but anyway, um, what are you hearing from the younger folks that you are mentoring and coaching now? What kind of issues are they struggling with today? This is so interesting to me. And this is one of the things that, that really inspired me to write the book, not something that I ever planned to do. We went through a period, a good 20 years or so where younger generations were saying, oh, I don't see color. You know, everybody's the same, you know, and and they were really succumbing to something else, if you will. I would argue that we have to see who we have to see each other for who we are and respect the differences that we have. Okay, at some point, we all bleed red blood and and we have more in common if we we stop to think about it, then 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 we have differences. And so when I when I see these people who are convinced that everyone is colorless, not even see the train coming, right? So they're blindsided by these things and they, they really are caught off guard. They haven't been paying attention. They don't have a plan. They don't have a strategy. And so, you know, things show up for them totally out of the dark and they don't they don't know how to handle it. But what's worse than the professional impact, Wanda? is the personal toll that it takes on a person that has the degrees, that has the experience, that, that, that has all of these things that we say are needed for success, and they still cannot make headway. So one of the things that I've always said, I want your reaction to this, is that every degree of difference 
Okay, so there's a degree of difference around race, there's a degree of difference around gender, there's a degree of difference around personality style, education, and there's plenty of them. Every degree of difference makes it that much harder to keep your confidence up. It takes an Mm. edge off your confidence. Do you agree with me? Is this the same thing you're seeing? I absolutely agree with you. And that goes back to the quote. Yes, you can. When you hear somebody saying you shouldn't do that or you shouldn't apply for that, one of the stories in the book, someone else is more qualified than you. That usually is an indicator that that's exactly what you should be going for, right? It's difficult, though. And that's where we really need to have our own support system, either in the form of mentors. I'm a big proponent of having your own advisory board, if you will, because you need to hear from different voices. But you really, people need to be intentional about doing these things. And and, and a lot of these things, unfortunately, are, are not things that we think about. Right. And you've got to have, I would imagine, you need somebody who can help you come up with that strategy. Because if you're sitting there feeling undermined by what has just happened, you didn't have your plan, your confidence is taking a dip, that at that moment, you're going to need some outside push to get a good strategy and help you deal with it. And keep your spirits up. Somebody's got to help lift you up. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and the lift up is is tough. The lift up is tough. And that's where it's so important to set the right expectations. People misunderstand that when I say it sometimes. The the right expectations, perhaps reasonable expectations, is a better way to express it. But just because your credentials and experience match up with someone else's doesn't mean that you're positioned for the same potential outcome. Okay. Okay. And so is it reasonable for me to expect that? Or do I have to recognize the fact that I may be subject to a different standard? Okay. All right. So we're talking in these examples and all of your examples in your book about people who have the credentials, who have the experience, who have the track record, who've done the performance, but are not getting the opportunity at the same pace and at the same, I don't know, speed, rate, whatever, to step into the roles that they are really interested in stepping into. Okay. And is is that the bulk of what you're seeing or are there other kinds of examples that you see that feel so inequitable? That's most of it. Uh, You know, and it's about holding on to control and power Uh in most cases. One of the situations that really I found alarming about 10 years ago, and it's, I talk about it in the book a bit, is, is a woman that was highly, highly qualified for a particular position. It's something she always wanted to do. And she was very persistent, and she finally was able to move into a position to, to demonstrate her competencies. And, and the organization acknowledged that, recognized it, uh, and recognized that she was responsible for a large percentage, more than 60%. Of, of the company's uh, top line revenue, very successful. But she was never successful enough to be considered for a position in executive leadership. They always gave her these qualified, modified titles. And when I was called in to work with her and a couple of other people, and I started talking with stakeholders and things like that, they could not give me a meaningful answer as to why she was not being considered as some of her colleagues were being considered for the next level. They would say things to me like, well, she she ate a muffin at a meeting. 
or, you know, something like that. I said, well, has anybody talked with her about that? Has anyone had a conversation with her about her behavior? And, and there was no answer. So in a situation like that, those are things that uh, for some would be a mentoring moment, right? Let me, right. let me take this young lady or this young man to the side and talk with them about how they need to show up and their behavior. In other cases, it's an indictment. Okay. Right. So we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to say anything, but we're going to hold it against you. Forever too, by the way, even if it Forever. happened five, 10 years ago, exactly. it's still being held by the organization. Yeah. Right. A lot right. of people, can, a lot of people in the minority group can recognize that one. Yeah. I remember, um, again, another client in a minority group that I have worked very, very closely with, happy to say she is currently CEO, but in her particular case, in getting approval to do a board appointment, there is intense scrutiny about her that was not done for someone else who got a board appointment of comparable level at the exact same moment. I mean, there, it was just such a clear difference in the scrutiny. And it's hard, it's hard not to get upset about that stuff. It is. And the other thing that often happens, the, the scrutiny is real. That's similar to what I said about, you know, the qualifying at a, at a, networking event or or reception or something along those lines. But the other thing that happens is, you know, we're moved into responsible, significant roles and then resources go away, Mm -hmm. you know, so where you begin with a team of five or six, you find yourself being, you know, a a one man band with the same responsibilities, with the same job description, you know, maybe, you know, one and a half times. And uh, you're really not, position for success. You're set up to fail. Okay. All right. So we've talked about some of the kinds of experiences you're seeing. We've talked about the need for the individual to have a plan. We talked about the individual have mentors and an advisory board and people can help lift them up. We've talked about not letting go of your power, something I will come back to in a moment. We've talked about using those moments to call out in a good way what you need to call out. We've talked about all of that. I want to shift the gears. Sure. I want to talk for a minute about what leaders, managers can do that makes this easier. So what's your advice for managers in the organization? To start with being curious and to be open-minded. I hesitated a little bit, Wanda, because the, the challenge here comes down to a very individual level. You, you can't change hearts and minds. And a lot of this ties directly back to a person's values and a person's beliefs. All an organization can do and all an organizational leader can do is hold people accountable. So when you see that there is one person on a team that doesn't look like the others on the team, uh, I think it's really important and, and prudent from a risk management perspective, okay, to pay attention, to make sure that things are, are, appear to be equitable. And if for some reason this person is not showing up on projects, in presentations, uh, if, or if things don't seem to be quite right, to, to just check it out, right? To pay attention and to maybe be intentional, more intentional about setting the expectation that the playing field is level. And, and, and that doesn't happen. People are fearful about speaking up. It's interesting. Um, I know at least one leader who impressed me with his ability in this particular case 
to say, to notice that there were discriminations of who would spend time with whom, um, who on the team was comfortable going to dinner with whom else on the team. I mean, a whole host of behaviors. Who would jump in on top of somebody and always speak over them? Just the stuff we see normally in team behaviors. But he was paying attention, to use your language. Yeah. And then would take action on it. Okay, so he would take and some lovely actions, like simple things, like just stop, you know, let somebody finish their interruption and then turn back to the individual and say, wait, I think what you said was important. Would you say it again? Mm -hmm. He says, if I do that, it doesn't take long for my team to recognize that they can't just jump in on top of people. But he also said that if he was honest, there were times when he hesitated to give really tough feedback. Mm hmm to the detriment of somebody's performance and ultimately then to his performance because he was just hesitating to say it as candidly and as directly as it need to be said. Now, he noticed, did something about it, but are you seeing that kind of thing as well? Absolutely. I hear people holding back because they're afraid that it might lead to some sort of legal action and things like that. But I'm not saying that anybody should be given any special treatment. Everybody needs feedback, positive, constructive, or otherwise, okay? So I think that that, that is something, it's, it's difficult for people, but that's something that a leader is going to have to get comfortable with, quite frankly. But everybody yeah. needs that, everybody needs that feedback. And, and it is tough. And there are some things that are very, very difficult to address. A lot of those things show up around... I'll just call it out, the use of language and and dialects and things like that. And, and I understand that. But you have to understand, too, that in some cases, you know, people, regardless of competencies and ed- education and things like that, have had limited exposure. And this is their opportunity to grow. It doesn't it doesn't mean that they they can't or that they're incapable. But this is the mentoring opportunity. Right. So I would I would challenge leaders who find themselves in those situations to take the risk and to embrace the the discomfort uh-huh. and perhaps the fear and and you know if they if their heart is in the right place uh, if they have good intentions then to move forward. All right. So role play this one with me. Mm-hmm. Just you, you brought it up. I'm going to play with it. You said somebody is using dialect in a way that, mm-hmm. as a manager, I don't find appropriate in the workplace or with a client, let's say, for example. And I'm going to give feedback. How do I give that feedback? Give me your advice, your coaching on how to get that feedback in a way that's going to work. Yes. So I think uh, you may be familiar with SBI, Situation Behavior Impact, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And so that is a very benign, objective way to offer feedback. Situation is the meeting with a client, right? And the behavior is, is the comment that was made in response to whatever the discussion was. And then, and then you talk about the impact. And, and that way, you, you really are dealing with something, yes, that the person, the, the person did is the person's behavior, but you're dealing with it in an objective way. So it's not a personal attack. You know, you shouldn't say this. You should say that. I want you to stop doing this. I want all those kinds of things. But you're speaking objectively about the impact. And it's a growth opportunity. You can also say, you know, may I offer you some feedback? Ask permission and just express 
your desire and and your interest in that person's your desire to, to see that person be successful and your interest in that person's growth okay and listen yeah the <laughs> the reaction is not always going to be positive initially i've seen many circumstances where the initial reaction is not so positive and it's awkward for everybody but time goes by a day two days whatever and the person comes back and and has had time to sit with it it's embarrassing okay it's not comfortable for anybody but if you really are committed to that person being the best they can be and developing the right habits then you'll address you'll, it. you'll address it yeah right. yeah the situation behavior impact is so much simpler because I don't have to say that dialect isn't going to work for you, for example, or that language or that expression. You know, I don't have, I don't have to sound like an old fuddy-duddy who doesn't get it or whatever else. But if I put it in the situation, in the situation, that comment and the impact on the people sitting in the moon, it's not a judgment. It's right. a particular instance that allows somebody to reflect on yeah. Okay, am I willing to change it or not change it? Yes, absolutely. Okay, great answer. All right, Brenda, this is a perfect place to take a break, I think. So my guest today is Brenda Harrington, certified executive coach, as you've heard, founder of Adaptive Leadership Strategies, and deep, wonderful book here that is really talking about what it means to deal with diversity, to have the kind of comments, the sort of experiences that people are having, and what you can do as a manager that's going to make a difference. So we'll be right back. See what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive, all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. 
When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Brenda Harrington, and Brenda is, um, her business is called Adaptive Leadership Strategies. She's working with leaders globally in every industry you can imagine, 30 years in private industry herself, and now working in um, helping organizations do a better job of their diversity, inclusion, accessibility, acceptance, um, and helping individuals understand how to manage their careers in the best way. The book is called Access Denied. It is chock full of stories and stories and stories and all sorts of advice. And we have been talking about the need to be prepared. If you are a minority candidate, to have a couple of scenarios in your mind of what might happen and to be prepared with how you're going to handle that and to make sure that you have a board of advisors or mentors or people you can go to who will help lift you up. And if you're a leader, we're going to say, just pay attention. If you have people who are in minority um, talent on your team, pay attention to whether or not they're getting promoted as quickly, moved as quickly, the same size of opportunities, getting the kind of feedback. And even if it's awkward, give the feedback. Situation, behavior, impact. Regardless, take the chance, invest in that person, do it out of kindness, out of caring, but give them the feedback because worse, I think, is that you don't do it. All right, Brenda, I'm going to start with um, what I count as a grossly unfair question, but I want to ask it in any way. (laughs) So, and I always like to use this language, dominant coalition, because there's in every organization sort of a dominant style, a dominant background, a dominant training, a dominant language, a dominant thing that a lot of people are like, And many folks then sort of glom on to be like that dominant coalition, so they've got the networks and so on. So that's how I'm using the language, dominant coalition. And anybody else would be outside of that dominant coalition. So minority or minoritized, however you choose to use that language. What I want to know is, what do you wish the dominant coalition understood that you don't believe they understand today? You know, I have to really think about whether it's a question of understanding or just accepting. Understanding that we're not as different as they may think we are. And given the opportunity to have a meaningful conversation, you'd be surprised at how much we have in common. Similar values might be, you know, spirituality, religion, maybe different religions, for example, but, but the same commitment family values, things like that. We all want the same things. Uh, the The reason I say, you know, I question understanding sometimes because it does go back to values and beliefs. And unfortunately, Wanda, there are still people who believe that because of race, because of nationality, there is a, a structure of superiority and inferiority. And that's not really something a person's got to want to change that in themselves. And that's not something that can be changed externally. 
I get that one. All right. So what do you wish the dominant coalition would do then? What I wish they would do, first of all, is is to be candid and, and forthright with with what they want and and not pretend, you know, we talk about gaslighting in the book, right? Not pretend that there's there's something that's not really there. Uh People have all kinds of motivators and drivers for wanting to achieve or increase diversity. Sometimes it's to reflect so that, you know, staff reflects the client base or customer base. If that's that's a business proposition, right? If that's what you want, then let's talk about that and let's talk about how to get there. But just to be forthright in, you know, with what's going on. And 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 really what you're, what you're talking about is the culture of the organization, right? What what's driving. Right. Okay. So this sense of understanding where people, where the common values are, the common, some maybe common experiences, maybe not the same experiences, but the common Mm -hmm. values, Mm -hmm. recognize that there is sometimes a superiority, inferiority thing that is happening in the world and come to your own terms with honestly where you sit in that equation and then not pretend that those are not there. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And that, that leads to difficult choices, right. right? That leads to difficult choices, but at least you have a choice to make. Okay. What concerns me, yes. Go ahead, say it. I was going to say what concerns me is, you know, that, that, that people are, are, are chasing something that doesn't exist. That, that's not real, right? That's not possible. So, right. Yeah. All right. I get that one. Okay. So you've talked about the pay attention. You've talked about the feedback. Let's say we have a manager who does indeed valuing, bringing in diverse talent, fostering that talent, supporting that talent, seeing that talent succeed. Beyond paying attention and giving feedback, what's the best way to ensure that the diverse talent in the organization actually does trust you? I think that that comes down to being authentic, right? Being willing to be vulnerable and and have person-to-person conversations and, and not everything always being centered around, you know, the work and business, creating or fostering an environment of psychological safety. You used a really good example earlier about somebody being, you know, over, cut off in a meeting, uh, really holding a space for everybody to engage at a meaningful level. So, you know, doing things like that will, will move the needle at least okay. a little. Okay. Yeah. All right, let's talk, I'm going to shift the gears a little bit. I want to talk about this whole notion, uh, you call it the only lonely or the lonely only, lonely only. All right, now many women in the organization, organizational life will experience some of the only, but we're starting to have not one, but maybe two if we're lucky. It gets a little harder as you get to the top of the organization, but in the earlier ranks, it's not so bad. But when you add race or some other difference to it, it can often be the only one and one that gets ignored. So what's your experience and what's your advice? Yeah. My first exposure to this was my first job out of college. I was not only the only woman in this environment, but the only minority in this particular space. And the, the, only, the only minority manager. And so anyone else in the organization that I might have had anything in common with would have been part of 
the the staff, the non-management group, as we call it. I hate to call anybody a non-man, non-anything, but that's what it was called at those times. And so it was frowned upon for me to even say hello or have a cup of coffee with someone who was not, you know, Amen. part of the management team. And so, you know, that kind of dynamic is very awkward from both sides, right? right. And I found myself just doing what I needed to do to try to help others feel comfortable with me. You talk about trusting, right? And mm-hmm. so I never, there, there was really never any recognition or, or consideration given to what would have made me feel more comfortable in right. that environment. Yeah. 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 So yeah, go ahead. So what would you advise if you're going back today to that organization, what would you tell them to do differently? Just, you know, hold a space, basically. I mean, what what does it matter that I have a conversation, you know, with someone who who looks like me, if you will, uh, just, you know, just in passing or just casually. And also just to be more open and receptive to things that might have made me feel more welcomed as a part of the management team, even down to social out of the office activities, restaurants that, you know, we would go to and activities and things like that. It was all geared toward one type of individual, right? It wasn't, I don't think it was even appropriate, some of those things for women, quite frankly, but, but, you know, it was, yeah, it, it just was not very inclusive. Yeah. I've heard more stories about that than anybody would imagine <laughs> about the kind of things people get up to. Exactly. And you would think, oh, well, we've gotten past that today. Let me tell you, we have not gotten past that today. Completely not gotten past that one. All right. Um, I want to, I'm, I'm going to get into controversial territory here, Brenda. Why not? Um, you can steer me back if you don't want to do it. But, you know, there's an assumption among women in the organization that somehow we're all going to be alike and we're all going to get along because we're women and because we're part of the minority. And I find, first, women are not all the same. They don't all have the same experiences and preferences, and they don't all love each other just because they're women. But when I add race to that, it can often be even more awkward. Um, Can you speak to this, your own experience, and some advice? How do we handle this in a better way? You know, as women, we have so many challenges. Uh, women who are wives and mothers versus women who are single and, and highly ambitious and driven to, you know, all of those things. So there's there's so much that goes on there. Uh, when you when you layer on race and, and ethnicity, it, it, it takes on a whole new meaning, right? And so it adds another degree of competition, if you will, Mm-hmm. And it also adds another, uh, you know, it, it creates new opportunities for uh, dissent. Uh, and in some cases, I'll say uh, abuse. It's almost like, um, you know, it, if, if, there, if there are four women, three, uh, one, one minority, three Caucasian women, three white or European women of European descent, I'll say, um, that basically that fourth woman, the minority is, is discounted and is credit, discredited. It's almost like you become invisible. Okay. And, and I'll just say the mean girl activity <laughs> that can take place really to just, you know, to, to affect that elimination can, can really be very harsh. And in many cases, it's more uh, abusive than, than some of the things that, 
that we experience with men. I am glad to hear you say that because I see that. Mm-hmm. So, and not many women want to hear it and not many women want to acknowledge it, but I just challenge you, how are you dealing, how are you dealing with your non-white, non-Caucasian, non-European descent female colleagues? Yeah. And are you ignoring what their experiences might be? I'm not ignoring what I didn't mean you. I meant the yeah, yeah. other people oh, asking, yeah, ignoring, yeah, not yeah, you personally. Yeah, no, yeah, no, no, yeah. no. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I want to talk about another controversial topic, and that has to do with representation. So mm-hmm. you'll often hear, um, no, we want everybody to come together and find a common ground, and we're all in this together, and we don't want to, to call out some of the differences. We want to focus on the similarities. You'll often hear that from various people. And at the same time, you hear people say, I want to see somebody who looks like me. I want a representative of me in places. Why is this representation such an important factor? Oh, my goodness. I don't think that anyone understands the depth and breadth of challenges that minorities face, not only in the workplace, but socially, economically, politically, I mean, across the board. And it is difficult to process all of that and still show up fully in the workplace at times. A lot of this ties back to economic challenges, you know, family structures, a lot of things that, that happen outside of the office that you you don't intentionally bring to work, you know, but they're just part of who you are. And so not to have anyone to kind of socialize that with is is really hard. And the, the potential impact that it can have in the professional environment. I think of circumstances where, you know, people might be required to work excessive overtime or late hours and things like that, but they don't have the luxury because there, there's no backup system, right? And right. and there's no there there's there's no resource to to put backup systems in place. Uh, you know, I, I'll probably take a hit for this, but I'm I'm gonna go right here. <laughs> so you know, when we when we talk about changing schedules and shifting gears and things like that, we have spent a lot of time over a lot of time and resources over the years just on how we need to show up. I'm sure you're familiar with the Crown Act. You know, this whole thing about our hair and and yeah. and wearing our hair naturally and things like that. But in the days where natural hair was not acceptable. You know, the things that we have to go through hours and days, okay, to prepare to do something that for others is a matter of 20 minutes in the shower, okay? And I'll just say that. And so I don't think people realize, I can't tell you how many times I've been at executive retreats or offsite activities. Oh, you know, let's take a run in the pool. Let's gonna, I can't go in the pool because if I go in the pool, then I'm done for the day. I'm not, I can't come out, okay? And, but people don't, People don't understand those kinds of things and and how much that marginalizes you, you know, and really separates you from everyone else. So the representation then is to have somebody that you can talk about those experiences with, somebody who understands your issues that is comfortable having those conversations with you. Exactly, exactly. And, And that you can go to, in some cases, 
where where you really need some workarounds. You know, yeah. where what you're being asked to do or what you're being expected to do is is not something that's going to work in that particular point in time. Right. And it's important to be able to have those conversations. I remember um, U.S. story, but I think everybody can relate to this. At the time, a couple of years ago, when we were all talking about the George Floyd and you know, lots of organizations went through great stress over that one and lots of conversations. And, you know, in many cases, I think people showed up in a good way to respect what were the experiences and ask about the experiences and so on. OK, for the black uh, staff members team members. But right on the back of that in the U.S., we had this incredible surge in Asian hate crime mm-hmm. that, you know, I one organization I'm thinking about, the Asian clients, they were much, or Asian employees were much more prolific than were the Black employees. And they were stressed out by what was happening on the streets to their grandparents and their aunts yeah. and uncles. And nobody wanted to, was talking about it. Like nobody was paying attention to it. And that just, that's hard, you know, to come to work with that much anxiety of what might happen to one of my relatives that I care deeply about. And there's no one who got it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that's an extreme case, but I think it's also a representation of, you know, how, and how am I supposed to handle this offsite retreat, for example? Right. Yeah. There are many of those, I think. All right. Um, any advice for being a better sponsor or mentor or colleague? Curiosity, openness. You know, you referenced the, the George Floyd incident, and I just generally talk about the spring of 2020 because so many things happened. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but I, I think about uh, the questions that, that came up. You know, I had no idea. How does this, you know, what is, and, and people became curious in, in all kinds of different ways for all different kinds of reasons. So I I think that just being willing to learn and and consider some things that you, you might not have been aware of before and, and at least be willing to rethink, reassess and reevaluate your beliefs and your values. You may end up in the same place, but, but maybe you won't. And maybe that learning will help you to understand how better to connect with people who are different from yourself. Right. Now, I hear sometimes from minority groups that they get tired of trying to educate the majority. So how do we stay sensitive to that and still willing to learn? How, give me some advice on how to navigate that dynamic. Yeah, I, I it does get tiring, you know, because I think that uh, if you have an interest in something, you pursue it. Okay, Mm -hmm. and I can think of circumstances where, you know, people keep coming back to me with the same thing. There are people that just only come to me, for example, to say, oh, you know, I I know this client that that's looking for minority coaches. And I've had to remind a few people, most of my clients don't look like me, number one. And number two, you know, I can coach other people. And and most of the people I coach, you know, are are not minorities. And, you know, so. It, it's offensive when that's the only time that people think of you, for example, yeah. you know, yeah. when you're, when they're trying to check a box. And so, you know, to, to help people learn to me is different than trying to educate people. And, yeah. and when I, yeah. And when, when, when people continue to come up and I don't, I don't with questions and I don't see them investing in their own growth and development, 
you know, when they when they when they need a quick answer, you know, they're looking for a quick fix. That to me is is condescending and offensive. But if someone is curious and willing to learn and is is doing their own work, I'm all about it. All right. I love that advice. Okay. I want to quote, because I'm going to now talk and go to shift to talk about individuals and what individuals can do. We've got just a couple minutes. Playing to win requires an understanding of the game, knowing who the star players are and developing and executing a playing strategy. Why is that so important for people to understand? Goes back to what I said about getting out in front of things. You know, we, we, particularly young associates, get out of college, you're in this I love me space, center of the universe. I've got my degrees, I've got this great job and all of these kinds of things. And you're really not paying attention. And it is so important to read the room, to understand your audience. And just because someone is sitting in the, in the CEO chair doesn't mean that that's who holds the power. Okay, so pay attention, listen to what is being said, pay closer attention to, to what's being done. The behavior that's rewarded, the behavior that's tolerated, and 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 pay attention to the movement because that's where you get the data. That's where you really get an understanding of the uh, the culture and 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 the landscape. And then you know what expectations are realistic, right? You don't know what to expect until you understand where you are. That makes a lot of sense. And I couldn't agree with you more. We tend to believe that we should avoid politics, but I believe the politics are present, live and central. I always say they're there if you've got more than three people together, you're going to have politics. And paying attention to who's doing what, where the power base is, who the star players are, what is rewarded, what is not rewarded is incredibly informative in understanding what your strategies are and your possible movements. It doesn't mean you have to copy it, but at least you know what's expected along the way. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, all right. Go ahead. You know, I was just going to say, and a lot of times, you know, people disregard that and they start to justify the things that are happening. And that's when you're really getting into, I'll say, dark territory. Because sometimes, the, the you know, you have to make some tough choices if you're really committed to the things that you say that you want um you're not always in the right place but right right we do have to do a little bit of soul searching here all right brenda my last question for you because i like to ask everybody this one what takes you out of your comfort zone and how do you manage it and you got a minute and a half okay i would have answered this so much differently 30 years ago but today really uh i the thing that takes me most out of my comfort zone is is challenges associated with more with things like technology and interacting with technology and less with people, you know, uh, good or bad, right or wrong. There's, there's not a conversation that I will avoid in most cases. And, and typically, uh, not anyone that I wouldn't be willing to engage with, but, but most of, most of my challenges outside of my comfort zone, uh, are digital. Fair enough. We've all got it, whatever it is. All right. My guest today, Brenda Harrington, um, her organization is called Adaptive Leadership Strategies. The book that I just think is fabulous is called Access Denied. Brenda, if somebody wanted to reach out to you, how was the best way to get you? I'm on Instagram as uh, author B. Harrington. My email is bharrington at adaptiveleadershipstrategies.com. And I'm also on LinkedIn. Perfect. 
Thank you for being a guest today. What a great conversation. I think it's so important that we talk more about the complexity of all these issues. And I appreciate your honesty and the stories you tell in the book as well. So thanks for joining us today. Join us next week for another episode and getting out of your comfort zone. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.